Welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Ryan Knight, and our guest today is Senator Nina Turner. Ah! <laughs> Nina is a, a former senator, a professor, the national co-chair of Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign, and the host of the new podcast, Hello Somebody. Uh, Senator Turner, welcome to Amped Up. I'm glad to be here, Ryan, and I am Amped Up. Hey, uh, I want to start off uh, our discussion today by getting your thoughts on the police brutality and racial injustice crisis uh, gripping the nation. After a huge uprising this summer, we saw millions of Americans take the streets for Black Lives Matter and demand systemic change to the way that we do policing in America. But the police and the politicians still haven't gotten the memo. Police are still uh, murdering and shooting unarmed black people, and politicians are still peddling platitudes and symbolic gestures instead of pushing for the systemic change that the people are demanding. So, that, so you know, the people, we're doing our part, but why aren't the politicians and the police doing their part? You know, right, it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to be able to um, not just do the right thing, not just to stand on the right side of history, but to have an immense understanding of the moment that we are in. This didn't just begin. There are lots of Jacob Blakes, unfortunately, in 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 the in the United States of America. A lot of Sandra Bland's or uh, Brianna Taylor's. Lots of them in the world or in this country, I should say. And so it is going to take, as you just alluded to, a movement of the people, which we see since the incident of George Floyd, a rebubbling of that, a recommitment to take to the streets, especially since COVID. And it is going to continue, the, the grassroots is gonna to have to continue to bubble up to push these elected officials to give them some get right, as my grandmother used to call it, because they're not mm -hmm. gonna get right on their own. They're gonna to have to be forced to get right. And that only comes through people forming coalition, uh, forming allyship, as my dear friend uh, Killer Mike would say, uh, co-conspirators. And that is what we're gonna need on this movement. And ultimately, some of these elected officials may need to be replaced, right? <laughs> Amen. I think a lot of them need to be replaced. You know, there's that famous quote, I think from Frederick Douglass, that power concedes nothing without a demand. That's and right. I think we're seeing that play out now that, you know, the people are crying out and, and organizing and, and we're crying out for change. And it's like the politicians got, you know, earplugs in and they just don't want to hear it. They are trying to maintain the status quo at any cost. And, uh, you know, the, one of the things that has been just driving me nuts is how, you know, re Republicans and Democrats are pretending like they don't understand what defund the police means. You know, like mm -hmm. Karishma Mehta uh, made an, a brilliant point this week when she said, you know, we've defunded schools for generations. We've defunded housing for generations. We've defunded small farms and businesses for generations. We've defunded public health for generations. We've defunded pensions for generations. But suddenly it's confusing when we say defund the police. You know, and, and it's like, where is this coming from? It's like we want to defund the police and reinvest that money into black and brown communities so there's actual resources for people so it doesn't get to this level. That's right. And we should have done it a long time ago. There always seems to have to be bloodshed for real deep systemic change to happen. And, and it pains me to say that. Uh, 
And these elected officials, some of them, many of them, because we do have some who do get it, who are on the front lines, both locally on the state level and the federal level, but we have far too many who are not. And it is vitally important that the people who are on the movement side not relent and understand the power that they have. See, this movement is similar to movements past. You know, I see ripples of similarity in the civil rights movement in the 50s and the 60s, uh, ripples of similarities in the abolitionist movement, the suffragettes movement. I mean, all of those things have some differences that we won't necessarily go into, but there are some ripples of similarities. And what is the similarity is it took it, ordinary people to put some extra on their ordinary, to push for extraordinary things to happen. And it is not going to happen overnight because there are forces. So as the grassroots push, activists push, conscious-minded elected officials push, there's going to be a counterforce pushing back, right? Mm. And that's what we're seeing right now. This counterforce is pushing back and far too many politicians are more concerned about the counterforce than the forces who are pushing for the good. And even that good is going to cause some pain. Change oftentimes causes pain to get to the ultimate right place. And, and that pain is to, to reimagine. The pain doesn't have to be a brutal type of pain, but it is reimagining what policing should be in the United States, what it should be in the 21st century. Looking at our sisters and brothers in other parts of the world, Ryan, right? and looking at how they police and taking all of the best practices and bringing them back here to the United States of America. Now, we don't... To me, that's a comprehensive approach, but there's some things that we know right now that really don't need us to study, to research. It is no knees on people's necks, no chokehold, tell old Eric Garner, you know, no shooting folks in the back. There are just some things that we that can be done right now. And right. we need more people in law enforcement. You know, Right after you know the the bubbling up of of, of the the protest and in um, demonstrations for George Floyd, there was one police chief in particular. His last name is Roddy, and he is in Tennessee. I don't know what city, but he had a comment and he said that if there's anybody who doesn't understand what happened to George Floyd is wrong, turn in your badge. And if we could duplicate more police chiefs like him who are willing to take those kinds of bold actions coupled with politicians who are willing to take bold actions married to the movement for justice in the criminal justice arena, starting with the police, then Ryan, we would get that wholesale change. Oh, and then, then the economic part, because you're right. people know what defund police means now. Now they just pretending like they don't understand. They might not like, everybody might not like the title, right? And I get that. It is shocking. But it has been explained over and over again what that means. And so we have some politicians who just choose to make the phrase defund, defund the police something that it is not so that they can cloak themselves in denial. That's what's going on here. And my son is a police officer, Ryan. Mm -hmm. I want to say that. And my husband is a retired 
police officer. So I understand this on both sides and being a black woman, a black wife, a black mother, I see this in all of its dimensions. So I get it. Yeah, that's, that's very well said. You know, one thing that you, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head is, is this whole part of accountability, you know, because if people don't change unless there are consequences for their behavior. And right now we're seeing cop after cop essentially get away with murdering unarmed black people. And until like that one police chief said, like turn in your badge if, if you don't think it's wrong to put your knee on someone's neck for 10 minutes. But it's like there's no accountability for most of these police officers. And I think until we see accountability for the officers who murdered Breonna Taylor and see accountability for the officer who attempted to murder Jacob Blake, that these cops feel emboldened. And I also think it's connected with this uprising of fascism we've seen uh, you know, on the right, because, you know, when you have the president of the United States and elected officials basically giving these cops license to do whatever they want, right? And even when we saw the uprisings this summer, I mean, there were police officers in LA who just drove their vehicle right over innocent protesters. And it's like, there has to be accountability. No one in this country is above the law. So when the, when police break the law or, you know, try to run someone over with their vehicle, they need to be prosecuted, arrested, and put behind bars. Very much so. And that's really all the majority of people. I know they're outliers and everything. They're outliers in movements that are meant to promote what is just, what is right, and what is good. They're outliers in everything. So people shouldn't be shocked that, unfortunately, some people are taking a moment that is meant to cause call for justice and using it for their own means just to, and, and when people do that, Ryan, I want to be very clear, it just adds fuel to the fire on the side that is trying to, uh, when people come in and manipulate for their own reasons, it just it just adds a fuel to the fire for the side that is, just, is, is trying to discredit the movement. But to be human, there are going to be people who are not there for the right reasons. And that's in every profession, that's in every movement, every environment, because it's called being human. Now, I want I want to park that right there. We do need transparency and accountability. And that is all the overwhelming majority of people who are on the side of justice in these cases are really asking for. And I say that to you as somebody, I mean, you're making me go back to my, my city council days. I served on the Cleveland City Council. And I can tell you in my community, the elders, you know, my grandmother's generation, they wanted police. They wanted law enforcement. Now, but what they did not want is for their children and grandchildren to be gunned down. Right. But they did want to feel, you know, to feel safe. All, all anybody's asking for, whether it's my grandmother's generation, whether it's Gen X, you know, my generation, whether it's millennials, your generation or Z's, people of consciousness are asking for transparency and accountability. And right. that's not too much to ask. And for far too long, law enforcement officials have gotten away with, by and large, not being accountable and not having to be transparent. And now that too is bubbling up, that that transgression is heretofore. And now we're paying for it as a society, whereas had this been corrected 
a long time ago, we wouldn't be here. And one other point to that point, we know that policing in America for the black community in particular was never about protect and serve. Right. It was about control. It yep. was about occupy. And people don't have to take Sister Turner's word for it. Just go back and read the history of policing, you know, slave catchers, how law abiding, I put that in air quotes, because during the civil rights movement, Ryan, black people took great pains to scrub people's records and to make sure that most of the people on the front line were quote, air quotes, law abiding citizens. Why did they do that? I'm glad you asked because they knew that the system itself was going to judge and critique black folks in a way that they would never judge and critique white folks. So they knew they had to be as solid as possible. Inlays, for example, Mrs. Rosa Parks, not the first person to decide not to get up, but she decided she wasn't, and a whole movement, the Montgomery bus boycott was formed around her decision. And don't think they didn't check every aspect of her record, the politics of respectability, so that then she could be used, her actions could be utilized to draw attention to the injustices, one, one facet of the injustices in the South. But back to the policing, the people who were sicking the dogs, the people holding the water hoses, and in far too many cases, the people who were members of the KKK and other uh, racist white supremacy groups were elected officials, were member of law enforcement, were firefighters. They were the very people being paid by taxpayers' dollars, Ryan. And so we're reliving that in a different iteration, different iteration, no doubt, in the 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. I also think like for me, it's 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 not really that radical. Like police the black community the same way you police the white community. Like, come on. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's <laughs> all on. people are asking for, though. Like, that's right. you, you know what I mean? Like, look how the police treat white people and police their communities. And then look how it is in the black community. And and it's just that simple. Like police every human being the same. Treat them with this because we all have the same dignity and the same worth. You know, stop this like you know, shooting black people from, from behind when I haven't, I haven't seen any white man being shot from behind by the police like that seven times, you know, it's just, Brian, you solved the mystery. <laughs> just treat black people like you were white people. Yes. And the other part I want to talk about though, is cause I think that this was so centered in MLK's work and, and even Malcolm X's work is that, and why I think the movement, you know, we got to keep building this multiracial, multi-generational coalition of people for justice is that we will not have true racial justice in this country until we also have economic justice in this country. Exactly they're so right. intertwined. Do you want to talk about that and how they're intertwined? Yeah, that, that is exactly right. So we know disproportionately black people are poor, very poor, have been that way for a very long time. It is systemically based. It was designed, baked into the system to keep black people down. That, those are irrefutable facts and it is still happening. The wealth gap is a real yeah. thing. The black white wealth gap hasn't, is the same today as it was back in 1968. It is as wide today. It's absolutely crazy. 
it's mortifying, Ryan, for me when I when I think about that. I, you know, I think about my son. I think about my my new grandbaby, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. It, it it really hurts me to my core um, because of so much sacrifice that has gone on for by my my foreparents sacrifice and so it is still so and it's not this is not about individuals this is about a system and this system was created and it was created by people because i think a lot of times when we say system that seems like something so far away and it's 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 there's a mystery behind the system so i want to be very clear with folks that the system was created by people by people in power who benefit from misery and division and quite frankly keeping the black community as a whole that doesn't mean that we don't have some success stories we do have some black people with wealth uh we have some black people with enormous wealth we have some black people in the upper middle class the middle middle class the barely middle we have that but as a group of people our wealth not our income not not the types of jobs because we were relegated at a time we could only do domestic work we could only do the the grunt work none of the jobs that would yield the most amount of money for a for generations so it is baked into the system and when you are 400 years behind it's really hard to catch up. You, you just can't catch up unless the system corrects and overcorrects. See, there's a difference between equity and equality. Equality says, you know, we're all equal and that's a beautiful thing. Let's, let's fight, let's get there. But equity says, if you, Ryan, need a little more than me, you get that to make us almost even. Right? It was based on systemic oppression though. So it's not, you know, just to catch yeah. up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that oppression is still going on. It's just a little more, shall we say, covert. It's not as overt as it once was, so it's hard to see. And then now to tackle and look at poverty in general. So poverty is both caste and class. It's both race-based and then it's also class class in that we have white sisters and brothers who are poor very poor and in order for us to deal with this we must deal with these things together concurrently we got to deal with them together i was gonna say one of the ways i think the ruling class and and the elites and the establishment politicians keep us divided is they try to is they they use kind of racial issues to divide us when you see when when black and white and brown working class people come together that is the greatest threat to the plutocracy and to, and to the oligarchs because it's in our collective power that we can finally overthrow this rigged and corrupt system that hurts so many of us. There it is. And that is what Dr. the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was attempting to do before he was assassinated, the poor people's movement. And that is, and, and Reverend Dr. Reverend Dr. William Barber has taken yep. up that mantle for the poor people's movement, bringing poor whites, poor blacks, poor Latino community, poor indigenous people, poor Asian, just the poor across the ethnic (laughs) racial spectrum, bringing poor people together to fight for their rights in this country. And that is the strongest way that we're going to be able to get the change that we need. And more politicians need to look at, I mean, the Reverend in repairs of the Breach, which is one of the organizations that yep. the Reverend created. The moral agenda, Ryan. I mean, there it is. It's, it's, it's right there in that agenda. 
to deal with poverty and voting rights and economic justice and workers' rights and education and healthcare and environmental justice, immigrant rights, challenging xenophobia, the criminal justice system, LGBTQ plus rights, deal with warmongering. Yeah, and one of the things that with what because I follow Dr. Uh, Reverend Barber's work and I've, you know, I've helped spread the word about the poor people's campaign. One of the big eye-opening things for me was the number because it's, it's not, yes, there are about over 40 million people living in poverty in the United States, but when you add the people living in poverty plus the people who are making low income and low wages, it's the number is startling. It's 140 million Americans are either poor or low income. Now, how are you going to say that we're the quote-unquote wealthiest nation on earth when we got 140 million people who are poor or who are living, you know, or who are low income? And then meanwhile, we have people like Jeff Bezos who makes $13 billion in one day. Like, I don't know how you can defend an economic system where you got a man who quote-unquote makes $13 billion in one day when you've got this many people who are poor or low income. It's just not adding up. And I think the people are starting to wake up to that and the people are starting to realize that they deserve and they they and we need better systems than this that instead of pushing people down, they these systems actually help people, you know, lift them up so they can actually be a part of the American dream. I think the American dream has become dead for so many because of these corrupt and rigged systems. That's right. It is, it's predatory capitalism is what it is, yep. because I know we're having a debate in this country right now about capitalism and socialism. You know, socialism is, is just, you know, so American socialism is not the socialism uh, of that our, our sisters and brothers use in Europe. And these people know it. They're being disingenuous. Yep. But predatory, let me use something that they can understand. Predatory capitalism is immoral, yep. period. And it's killing people. People are either losing their lives or their livelihoods because of this type of excessive greed. It makes no sense for Jeff Bezos to have that kind of money yet back at the at the at the plant, so to speak. He doesn't pay his his, his workers beyond a living wage when you're making that kind of money, making right. sure they got the best health care in this. Oh, he country. doesn't there even pay things. all his workers' health care. There are workers no, now I, at Whole Foods. He does not pay for their health care. It's absurd. I know. And he's become a necessity. I mean, let's just, uh, Amazon is a necessity now, that model he built. And so there's no destruction of Amazon, but what we can do is put the heat yes. on Mr. Bezos and put the heat on these elected officials so they start regulating in ways that force these people. See, some people do the right thing because, you know, they were touched. They had an epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sky opened up, <laughs> lightning struck. They heard, they heard the voice of God and they yielded. And other people need to hear the voice of the people and have elected officials who, which government is supposed to be the referee, right? Yeah. That's what government's supposed to be the referee. Well, the referee is falling down when it comes to- Well, that's it. Like that's the whole, the whole job of government is that when the pendulum swings too far to, to corporations and too far to the ruling class and, and too far away from the people and the working class, the job of government is to be, is to, hold the ruling class accountable and these corporations accountable and make the pendulum swing back so it's not so unbalanced. But what's happening now is that our government has been bought and paid for and is controlled by these giant corporations. So the so these giant corporations get whatever they want. And so we effectively have a government that's not even serving or working for the people. And that to me is the, is, is the crux of the issue that 
the entire government now is basically an arm of these giant corporations and Wall Street and and oligarchs like Jeff Bezos. So until we have a government that actually works for the people, none of, you know we're never going to see the fundamental change that we need. That's right. Brib bribery is legal. Is right. legal in the United States of America. And on this point, Rand, I got to shout out American Promise. Uh, it's a group I, I definitely serve on their advisory board, but they're working to get the 28th Amendment to the constitution, which would deal with uh, big money, big money in politics, the overwhelming influence of money in politics. We know about Citizens United. There are some other cases that added to that to exacerbate this situation. But by and large, it's, it's the way politicians are allowed to run for office. We need public financing of elections. So, and, and not allow people to use their own personal money to buy elections. They Their elections are bought on the right and the left. It's not just about the Republicans, the Democrats. Both parties are controlled by corporatists, right? And you yep. go at it almost yep. every day. I don't yep. know how you do what you do every day <laughs> on social media. You are teaching that lesson. It is true. It is unfortunate. It is true. And mm -hmm. we will not be able to continue to, to sustain this way. Something is going to have to give. Yep. Well, yeah. Uh, bipartisan i mean corruption in washington dc is bipartisan you know it's That's it, right. it, it's it, it is both parties and and that is the problem i think the democratic party tries to dress itself up and use lots of platitudes of hope and change uh to kind of conceal the fact that they are uh, you know bought and paid for by the exact same corporations and oligarchs as the republican party you know i think the other thing i think i try to tell people just real simply like think what, what these corporations and 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 Wall Street and billionaires do is they hedge their bets. So they give about half of their money. If you go to you know OpenSecrets.org, you can research all this. You know these corporations give about half their money to Republicans, and they give the other half to corporate Democrats. So no matter who wins the election every two years for Congress or four years for president, the corporations win because they've hedged their bets. They own both parties. So to them, that it is don't matter. Exactly right. That's exactly right, Ryan. Can we give them a quick, can we give people who are on this journey with us right now a quick example? Just one to just happen a couple of, a few weeks ago now where you know the, the move to cut 10% of the Pentagon budget, the military right. industrial complex, just 10 little percent of a 10%. budget that takes up 61% of the discretionary budget, which was over $1.19 trillion or so. Yep. They only want to cut it by just 10%. And in the House of Representatives, we not even talk, right? We need to go to the Senate because we know what happens yeah. over there. But in the House of Representatives, that is controlled by Democrats. Because I just want folks to, again, they can look this stuff up, right? They don't have to take yep. our word for it. This is just one recent example just to cut it would not interfere with our, our national security, safety, our enlisted uh, men and women, none of that. Just 10% of that budget. And it did not pass. The House of Representatives that is controlled by Democrats. And 60% of Democrats voted against just a 10% reduction in just our military budget. It was 60% of them. And then you go, I have a friend who has an organization who pulls all the numbers together and he ran the numbers. And of course, all 60% of the Democrats who would not reduce the, the budget by just 10%, all of them are bought and paid for by the defense industry. And that gets back to what we're talking about earlier is that the reason they don't want to change our corrupt systems is because our systems that that are not working for the people, they're working for the corporations and the oligarchs. They're profiting off of 
these endless wars. They're profiting off of mass incarceration. They're profiting off racial injustice. You know, they're profiting off our uh, broken healthcare system. You know, they are making money off of these corrupt systems. And that's why we have to keep coming together so people understand why the politicians, you know, who are in the pockets of these corporations don't want to change anything because their corporate donors won't allow them to. That's it, will not allow them. The system itself is corrupted and you know it's corrupting the people who are elected now not everybody I mean, we have we do have some elected officials who do do the right thing I, and i i, I want to say that as well to give some balance to this but it's not enough we need yes. more there so yeah. that the pendulum will swing back the other way in a recent interview on cnn you spoke uh what has quickly become the new mantra and rallying cry for the progressive movement when you told Anderson Cooper, and I quote, progressives are on a mission. We have two dragons that we have to slay, the dragon of neo-fascism and the dragon of neoliberalism. Nina, I felt this one in my soul because there are way too many Democrats who still think that if we just beat Trump, that everything will magically be okay again. And they're completely ignoring the fact that millions of Americans millions of working class Americans were struggling before Trump. And the fact that it was corporate Democrats embrace of Wall Street, giant corporations, and their abandonment of the working class that paved the way for Trump and neo-fascism. Why is a big portion of the Democratic electorate so unaware of the failures of neoliberalism and the fact that the fight for justice doesn't stop after we defeat Donald Trump? In this moment, if you had to ask me that, two years ago or three years ago, maybe even five years ago, I would probably have a different answer than I have right now. In this environment, because Trump is so overtly dangerous, it gives the neoliberal, the neoliberals the opportunity to hide behind him. Mm. And so the what people can absorb and take, especially with COVID, you know, especially with this pandemic, is Trump is as bad as people say that he is bad and uh, my life will be so much better if we just get rid of him. In other words, the capacity of people to take more than that in this particular moment gives neoliberalism an advantage. Mm. And so they can keep pushing that and selling that. I say all the time as you do till I am, I don't know, the, the colors of the rainbow in the face that the challenges of this nation, of this world, did not start when Donald J. Trump took the oath of office. It That's started right. way before that. This is generations in the making. He is just the manifestation mm. of our unfinished business. He is the manifestation of deeds not done. He is the manifestation of the pendulum that you and I have been talking about that has been swinging way too far for a very long time. And it's just easier to continue to say Trump, 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 everything. The man occupies every waking moment. Everything. That that's that's it. And 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 so the progressive movement, I think part of our work, Ryan, is education as well. Mm -hmm. Not to get mad, not mm -hmm. to except for these neoliberals, because we got to come out <laughs> swinging on them, because they they are a nasty bunch. I mean, you want to talk about they always talk about the Bernie Crats, right? Calling us names, oh, please. you know, calling the Bernie Crats. And, and, and I know the, you, you the support abuse, us. the abuse that you take on Twitter is, is 
is nothing like I have ever seen. The way they come and after Brianna, you, how vile and Embryana, yeah, yes. and the things they right. say. And, yep. and what really gets me, sorry to interject, but like what really sure. gets me is these same neoliberals will say that black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party. Yes. But then all of a sudden when a black woman who's fighting for justice and demanding actual policies to deliver that justice, then all of a sudden, you know, it's like you're not the backbone of the party. You're enemy number one and they're calling the, you the most heinous things when you're the one who's actually fighting to raise the level of consciousness to say, look, our party has to be better than this. You know, not being Donald Trump is the lowest bar in political lowest history. Bar. Don't That's tell right. me what you're fighting against. Tell me what you're fighting for. Come you know, on. What policies are you fighting for that will move this nation forward so we don't have another neo-fascist rise in 2024 or 2028? Because what That's we're exactly seeing right. is this passive milquetoast politics from Democrats opens up the space for fascism to thrive and enables this fascism. It does. And, and it's, it's, yeah, they do. You summed it up. I mean, Bree Joy and myself, and I think leftist black women in general, when you have women like myself and, and Bree Joy, because we have such a national profile, we're big targets. But I have been in spaces with leftist black women who feel the same way, Ryan, mm. that Bree Joy mm. and I feel, that there's really no space and no place for them, that the Democratic Party, they only want black women and black people for that matter, I'm throw black men in here. That, that that obey, that bend to their will, that mm. uh, rattle off their talking points. And the minute we get a thought on our own, the minute we critique, the minute we rise up, the minute we reveal, then we mm. become enemy number one. So I feel like, you know, when uh, Senator Sanders embraced when we were running uh, what mm. FDR said when he was fighting against the neoliberals of his day, I, I feel the same way as uh, FDR did, President FDR. I welcome their hatred. Mm. I, I really do because I am fighting for what is just and right, what is right and what is good. And if your if 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 my shouting from the rooftop, for example, of the many issues progressives are standing up for, but Medicare for all is somehow hurting your can your candidate's candidacy, then you know what? You got a bigger problem, right? There are 92 mm. million people in this country who are uninsured or underinsured. Right. Jesus Christ. Right. If now is not the time in the midst of pandemic, I mean, I know what they said during the during the the uh, the debates and during the primary, right. but things have changed since then. Yeah. All they have to do if they weren't answering to the oligarchs of this nation is to simply say, "You know what? I wasn't there during the primary. Things have changed." People need real help and real solutions. And why is it that we're the only industrialized nation on the face of whatever they want to say? Just say they saw the light. Right. I, I see the light. And now I'm on board. We do need Medicare for all. Healthcare should not be com commodified. It is immoral. I do see it the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s way. Whatever lets them off the hook, Ryan. Yep. We we'll take it if you go, if you're gonna come on and stand up for Medicare for all. And and we can go through the whole list of issues that progressives, that leftists are fighting for. And every single one of them, 99% of them, if implemented, would lift the poor, the working poor, the barely middle class, and then all others in the United States of America. That's right. And what's it, what, what mystifies me is if Joe Biden had come out for Medicare for all, he would win the election in a landslide. In a land, because just right. like you said, things have changed since the primary. 
People are waking up and you look at approval ratings now, 88% of Democratic voters and 69% of all voters in America now support a single payer Medicare for all healthcare system. So it's not only what we need, it's what people want what and it's popular. Want. Like it's not yeah. even radical anymore. It's not even a far left issue anymore. It is now a mainstream issue that independents, Republicans, and all decent Americans want. And, and that really shows, to me, shows me though, the fact that they won't embrace it, it shows me how deep in the pockets the Democratic Party is of big pharma and of the giant insurance companies. Because that's the only reason they won't support it. You know, and 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 what you're alluding to, too, is like what we on the left are fighting for is righteous. What these corporate Democrats are fighting for is to maintain the status quo. And I think because deep in their hearts and in their souls, I think they know that. So because they don't have righteousness and justice on their side, they have to result to gaslighting us. Right. Because in essence, these corporate Democrats, the reason they're not fighting for progressive policies is because they're, they're fighting for their corporate donors. And so because they don't have you know, justice on their side, they result to gaslighting us and, and these tactics that kind of tactics that Republicans use as well. And it, and, and it just, as someone who has been fighting for this, and I know you have as well, it just, it's disheartening to see. You know, I was a Democrat for 18 years until finally two months ago, I couldn't take it anymore and I had to register no party preference. Because I, wow. it's not enough to just say, look, you know, vote for us because the other team is worse. You know, like what kind of a pitch is that? Like how is America ever gonna get better if all Democrats stand for is Republicans are bad so we're going to use that to stop any meaningful change. It's not motivating at all, Brian. And and there are lots of people like you who have left the Democratic Party. And we know that uh, people who identify as independents are the largest voting bloc in the yep. United States of America. And I can tell you from my travels across this country for the last five years, I have spoken with people who feel exactly the same way you do. And also a lot of elders too, it's not just the younger generation that sees it. Lots of elders see this too, and they are fearful that their children and their grandchildren won't have a better future than they had. And that is what every mother or grandmother or by and large, most, you know, the overwhelming majority, I, I know there may be some outliers that I talked about, but most grandmothers and mothers and people who just care about the next generation, they want to see that generation do better. And then they pass that baton and then that generation is working to make it better for the next generation and so on and so forth. I liken it to a relay race. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. The The first leg of the race is running. I, I ran track and I ran this sport. I was very good. But, you know, you're trying to gain the lead for your team. So we got to look at it that way. We're getting, we're trying to gain the lead for what is right, for what is just and what is good. And then we pass the baton to the next generation and their job is to maintain the lead and increase it. So why can't we have Medicare for all in the 21st century? Why won't we do a Green New Deal? Why won't we legalize cannabis in the United States of America and try to right the wrongs of the war on drugs that disproportionately impacted, destroyed, hurt the African-American community? That third leg of the race, same thing. Keep the lead and and advance it. And then they give it to the anchor, bring it on home. And then that race starts over and over and over again in our lifetimes. You know, Congresswoman Barbara Jordan once said what the people want is simple. They want an America 
as good as his promise. And Ryan, that is what the progressive movement is all about. That is what we are fighting for, whether you are a progressive who has decided that you want to stay within the Democratic Party and raise hell that way and try to take it over from within, or whether you have them exited and said the hell with it, I'm going for a people's party, the movement for a people's party, and I'm going to fight from the outside. I, For me, there's room for both of those groups to really push, to move this nation to where it needs to be. And that is a nation where people can thrive and a, and a, and a body politic that answers to those needs. Yeah, and I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. I don't think it has to be either or. I think the strategy, at least from my, from my end, is that it is a two-tiered strategy. You know, I, I endorsed Jamal Bowman, Cory Bush, you know, I've, I yes. endorsed like 35 oh, yeah. progressives who ran this cycle. And I, of course, I still support, you know, candidates like Jen Perlman, who ran and ran a great campaign. Yes, and Isaiah James, who is a Black Lives Matter activist who ran for office for the first time. And, you know, we're seeing all these. And, I, and I, look, take, I still support them 100 percent. But I also think that, you know, in some ways, this Democratic Party, as hard as progressives are fighting to change it and make it, you know, go left, they're clearly telling us that they don't want to be a progressive party. You know, at least the corporate Democrats who still control the party, they're telling us loudly and clearly that they want to be a corporate party when the DNC votes against Medicare for all, right? When the DNC votes against Medicare for kids and the DNC votes against legalizing cannabis. And then these are the two that really killed me. When the DNC voted against banning corporate lobbyists, from serving on the DNC's board. And then finally, the DNC also voted against rejecting corporate PAC money, the very thing that is corrupting our politics and that has corrupted both parties. And that's why, as, as I know we're nearing the end here, but that's why for me, I got on board a People's Party. I think we need a party in this nation that is free of corporate money and corporate influence, because that to me is what has corrupted our government. And that well, if we can build amen. a party that yes. is, you know, by that is of, by and for the people and is bought, paid for and controlled by the people, finally, the people will have a party that can fight back against the status quo, that can fight back against the corporate parties, that can fight back against Wall Street that can fight back against the oligarchs who have taken over control of our country and left the people with such little power. You know, what is your thoughts? I know we're coming up here on the People's Convention this weekend and you are our keynote speaker, which I'm so excited about, but you know, what do you, what do you hope to see out of this weekend? What are your goals for this weekend, uh, you know, for the People's Convention? Well, you are a speaker too, and I'm just really delighted and so is Dr. Uh, Cornell West, Mayor, uh, uh, Senator Mike Mike Gravel, who is just everything. Yes. Our brother Jimmy Dore, so many others that I'm not naming right now. I would hope that people would join us, even if it's out of curiosity, to hear mm. the voices of what a real convention, a convention that has the people in mind, what mm. it sounds like and and what it looks like and one other thing that the democratic and i know i'm breaking like into this rhythm but you know they rejected the opportunity to uh, be in position to have real conversation with our sisters and brothers in israel about 
the oppression of our Palestinian sisters and brothers right. as well. That was rejected too, right? Yeah. So just so many ways. And and the platform for people who don't understand some of this insider game stuff, and I am a member of the DNC from my home state of Ohio, but it's 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 not even binding. So that makes this even so much worse that right. they wouldn't even sign on to stuff that then they could turn around and not do. The <laughs> right. irony they won't that. Even, they won't even throw us a bone. <laughs> no, won't even throw the progressives a bone. But not to, I leaped into our our, our grand ending here. But yes, I, this Sunday, you know, August the 30th, 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, big ups to Nick Branda and his and his colleagues, they have been yep. on this journey since 2017, I believe, really pushing yep. to get to this moment. And they didn't look to the left or to the right. They kept their eyes on the prize in the creation of this and being one part of the progressive movement that says, hey, the Democratic Party is never going to do the right thing. And so we got to organize in a way that says we're going to create a party for the people. I do applaud them, Ryan, because that kind of work, doing that kind of work is immensely hard because oh, yeah. the two parties are going to banty together to protect each other. You best believe that. Oh, they're going to do that. They already to, are. To try to I stop mean, they're attacking this. all of us. Yeah. 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 So they're, they're going to do that because they're going to try to protect. But you also said, and maybe we can talk about this at, at another time about how we educate people mm. and educate people in love. Right. So I do believe if the vast majority of everyday citizens understood what we understand, Ryan, they yeah. would be on our side. Those yeah. diehards that are either Republican or Democrat, no matter what they do, those people would probably never going to move because they have a vested interest in the two party system or, you know, but but other people who are not members of the RNC, who are not members of the DNC, they're just everyday citizens and they pretty much have picked the team, but they don't really know what their team is up to. I believe that we can get to those people. I really, really do. So I just want eyes opened. I, I yeah. salute people. Make your own decision. I'm not into vote shaming. I let too. the professionals. Yep. I'll let the professionals handle that. You know, I'm not into telling people, but educating, enlightening yeah. people, opening minds and hearts. That's what I, I'm into. I, and I am too. And thank you for saying that, Nina, because and look where people are getting the majority of their information. They're getting it from our corporate media apparatus, which, look, I'm not going to be like Trump and call it fake news because it's not. You know, there's some great reporters. No, don't do but that. There never. I would. People. No, never. I'm one of those people in that. Mix. No, and and I, I when CNN allows people like you and Cornell <laughs> West to go on their platform, I'm so grateful. Yes. But I will say that the majority of the corporate media, they're going for clicks, they're going for ratings. So you know, when I turn on CNN or MSNBC, a lot of times, I'd say nine times out of ten, they're not talking about policies and issues to benefit working class people. They're talking about, oh look, Pelosi ripped up the speech. Oh look, Trump said this. You know, they're talking about surface level things that maybe catches clicks and eyeballs and maybe is good for their ratings, but that's not necessarily what's in the best interests of the working people of this country. And during the Democratic primary campaign, the way they broke down the analysis for every time Nina Turner was on CNN or MSNBC, there was about nine never Trump Republicans. And, you know, there were people that have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo that work for the corporate media. So I do think that we should be able to criticize the way that corporate media has kind of monopolized our political discussions because they don't always center the discussion around what is best for the people. A lot of times it's centered around what is best for their bottom line. Yes. 
there is an elitist bent to mainstream media. There's no doubt about it. There's no class analysis in most mainstream media. And, you know, I am glad that people like myself and Dr. West and others do have those opportunities. I am a commentator right now uh, for CNN. And so to have the opportunity to bring the progressive voice heretofore is very important. I think progressives need to be in every in every single um, profession. Progressives need to be everywhere Agreed. so that our voices can be heard. Even if they drown them out, we, we need to be represented. Absolutely. Progressive should be represented. And it's hard, I know. Um, we, we we have a lot to fight for and we have a lot to fight against. The progressives right now are standing in the ready position to fight for. And that is a very grand position to be in, Ryan. It's going to be hard. This is hard work, but it is righteous work, to use the word you lifted today. And it is good work. And when history is written, and I know people say that a lot, the progressive movement of the 21st century is going to be recognized for what it was doing, not for Democrats, not for Republicans, not for Libertarians, not for any particular political affiliation, but what it was doing for humanity. That is so well said, Nina. And uh, I just want to make sure everyone goes and downloads uh, Senator uh, Nina Turner's new podcast, Hello Somebody. And check out the People's Convention this Sunday, August 30th. You can go to peoplesconvention.org to register for free. And you get to hear uh, Senator Nina Turner and Dr. Cornell West and Marion Williamson and Jimmy Dore and Danny Glover uh, and, uh, and so you? many, and me, <laughs> and so many others who, uh, like Nina said, are fighting for a more just and uh, equitable and sustainable. Uh, society and planet so that we can leave something uh, for the next generation. So Nina, I just want to thank you so much for your time today and for coming on the podcast. I had such a, you opened my eyes even bigger and uh, thank you. Well, thank you for all that you do, Ryan. And I want to thank this movement for coming to my defense. I know it can't, it's too many things thrown at me. You guys would never get anything else done, but I do want to give the biggest shout out for this latest hit that I took and the progressive movement. I started receiving text messages from people and and seeing it on uh, social media. As I said with you, I'm trying not to dip in as much for my own sanity, but uh, Nina, hashtag Nina Speaks for Me was a beautiful sight to see. And I just thank, I, I, I just want to thank everybody um, mm. for really, and sometimes people come to my defense and I don't, I'm not, I don't even realize it. Just many, many, many thanks. Um, for for that you, know, you guys are definitely the wind beneath my wings and i know i don't speak for myself when i say thank you nina for being our voice and unapologetically fighting for the kind of justice that the american people deserve so i was so happy to come to your defense when that guy i think he was a democratic strategist like totally just yeah. went crazy and said things that i will not repeat on air and he yeah. said it like it was just normal. And also yeah. I thought it was interesting. He thought that that is going to help Joe Biden when he's criticizing and hurting the very voters, someone who speaks for the very voters right. that Joe Biden needs to win to turn out. So that's, that's just right. not the kind of game that is going to expand and, and get us the kind of coalition that no. is needed to win uh, in November. Not at all. And Ryan, again, you know, as we opened up this discussion, you just reminded me. So a, an attack on me, a black woman, that that is not supposed to be acceptable right now. It was okay because of the, the 
because of my ideology, because I am a progressive uh, a woman on the left, a, a liberator, as I prefer to call myself, yes. humanitarian, a hell-raising humanitarian. It was okay. And you didn't yeah. hear ne'er word, to quote my grandmother, from the neoliberals, because it's okay to attack, not just critique or get into debate with over the issues, right. flat out personally attack black women like me, black women like Rejoy. And, and so many others, right? So that, I, I'm I'm glad. I mean, we ended on a positive note. Um, we coming back to this. I think this is something that has to continuously be lifted because it puts out, it, it lets people see the hypocrisy yes. of the neoliberals. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think though it backfired. I mean, we got Nina Speaks it For did. Me trending top yes, 10 on did. Twitter. And it was like, yes. and then after Nina Speaks For Me, we got that one. Then it was Dragon Slayer, you know. Yeah. Dragon Slayer Nino, Dragon Slayer Turner. And so it just, yes. again, it just, it, sh- it, they don't know, they're playing the wrong game right now. You know, they're not yeah, fighting they for are. anything. They're screaming, you know, Trump, 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 you know, Trump bad, Trump bad, Trump bad. And other people are looking like, yeah, Trump is bad. Trump but is also bad. Right. Having 90 million people yes. without health insurance and 140 million people who are poor or low income, you know, there's a Come lot on. of other bad systemic problems in America too. And if we Can don't we address them the all? root right. of That's the problem, right. we're just going to have more Trumps down the road. And so I think it's getting out of this scapegoating politics and blaming Republicans or blaming everyone else and start to put solutions at the heart, start to put policies at the heart. I think if vote blue no matter who was the slogan for, you know, corporate Democrats this cycle, I would say that the slogan for a people's party would be something like vote policy no matter who to center policies again because we're so far from that. That's it. Well, we're gonna keep pushing. Our movement is here for it. We're gonna slay the dragon of <laughs> neo-fascism. And baby, we are gonna slay the dragon of neoliberalism. Hey, there it is. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening and make sure we'll catch you next week with an all-new episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Senator Nina Turner. Again, go please go download her new podcast, Hello Somebody. Uh, you can download it wherever you get your podcasts. And also make sure you check out the People's Convention uh, this weekend, where we chart a new course forward and we lay out our plans to build a, a major corporate-free uh, progressive party uh, that is of, by, and for the people and not beholden to any corporate interests. You can go to peoplesconvention.org uh, to register for the convention for free and we'll be coming to you uh, on Sunday, August 30th uh, at 4 p.m. Eastern time uh, virtually. So I hope you guys all check that out. And now before I go, I've got to thank all of our uh, Patreon subscribers who uh, make this podcast possible. I want to thank Charlie Wilkin, uh, Lid, Sean Stubblefield, Stanley uh, Karwinski. I want to thank William McLaughlin, DJ Comatos, Frank Cardenas, Joyce Yang, Jeremy Leeming, Liz Kirkland, Jeff Bonner, William Holtz, Trent Tobler, Michael Hardy, Molly Secors, Insurgent, Alexandra Orso, Shanna Pearson, Patty Cleary, Walter Hackett, Alan Wood, Russell Whitworth, Ruben Sanchez Jr., Elizabeth Kim, John Lloyd IV, 
Eileen O'Farrell, and Mary Fancher. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And if you want to become a monthly Patreon subscriber, you can go to patreon.com slash proud socialist. Thanks again, everyone. And I hope we see you at the People's Convention this Sunday. Have a great weekend.